0: Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction. Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic. We provide care to adults 18 plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee. And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute. I've been at
1: Pride several times, um, I think about four times. And uh, the initial time I was, um, I had finished college and I had, you know, I was starting to experience substance use disorder more so with the methamphetamine than the alcohol. And so I made it to Pride. And at the time, I think it was like back in the 90s when I first went, meth was still kind of new in the LGBTQ community. Um, I had started using it in California where I was going to school. So I was seeing actually, you know, uh, the impact out there, but not so much here in the Midwest until later. So I've been, you know, to Pride several times since then um, for a variety of substance use disorders, including meth, alcohol, benzos. Um, and each time was a different kind of combination of things. Uh, so the last time I was at Pride, I think it was two thousand. Um, 18, I believe, was my last stint there. But I've been to lots of treatments. That's important to say. I've been through at least 15, 20 treatment centers across this country. Some really good ones, like Hazelden, um, a couple of times, um, a place called the Karen Foundation out east, which is like Hazelden. Um, a lot of like community-based ones, like New Way here in the Twin Cities, um, went out in Los Angeles, uh, called the Vanessa House in the very beginning when I first got sober. So yeah, lots of treatment, but the Pride Institute uh, does a really good job with cultural responsiveness um, and some of the issues that affect LGBTQ people, you know, minority stress, HIV, AIDS, trans issues, um, those kind of things. So it's an important part of the community.
0: So, tell me a little bit about um, those early days, like you know, right after you graduated from college, and kind of the early like signs that you know your use wasn't normal, or I guess was maybe problematic.
1: Uh, I guess it was. It wasn't so much until I had experienced methamphetamine that I realized what addiction was. I I was I I used alcohol uh, as an adolescent and into my early adulthood, but I was still kind of maintaining like uh, work and going to college Uh, and I was partying like all the other people my age. Uh, So that was important to know it was normative and I wasn't really having difficulties with college or, uh, you know, um, my health or anything at that point. And then when I got into the math, it was pretty quick. Um, That took me, you know, down. Um, and, And after which then a whole host of addiction issues kind of like just kind of unraveled. Um, and I think a lot of it, and I mentioned it when I spoke at the, at, at pride was th- this whole trauma thing. You know, I got, I got, I got super depressed. I had a breakup with a partner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I started using meth and going to the bathhouses, and I got infected with HIV. And then that, was the beginning of what I say It was my trauma, my complex trauma experience. And that just kind of continued on through most of my adulthood where I would struggle, you know, with substance use and I kind of get my act together and then fall fall back. So that was like the early part, but I would have to say the last decade, I'm, I'm 53 today or, you know, I'm 53. And um, the last decade has been the most devastating. And they talk about, you know, addiction being a progressive thing, and it can be, but not always. But in my case, the past 10 years were uh, pretty traumatic in terms of career loss, financial devastation, more health issues, um, you know, hospitalization, homelessness, um, a lot of really uh, difficult things happened. And I didn't think I was going to get sober again with all this relapse going on that you've
0: experienced um how did you pick yourself up each time was there you know a moment that you realized that you know i'm going down the same path again or was it always so different you couldn't really tell
1: it was such a tempest it was it was i didn't know when a relapse was going to come or or or, and then i just gave up essentially and i started trying to manage um my mental health symptoms with specific chemicals so for example i would have a meth bench um and go into a psychotic episode and and be hospitalized or have some serious you know scenario happen where i was i was you know my life was at risk uh and i would come out of that kind of disassociated completely traumatized and had this level of anxiety that could not be suppressed therefore I hit hit the vodka. The vodka was the only thing that would tamper down that that edginess that I that I always felt, and that didn't go away. And so it was this cycle of meth, alcohol, meth, and alcohol, pretty much you know for the past ten years, mostly um, with some benzos in there and you know uh, poly substance abuse. But those were my main things. That loop of meth and alcohol. Uh, so I guess this t- this last time. I don't know what it was because I've always been pretty good being um, a former social worker. Actually, I'm going back to social work now again. But knowing what the community resources are, um, knowing you know what 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 all these the verbiage meant triggers and relapse and post acute withdrawal syndrome and um, and you know the the psychobabble verbiage and it was so frustrating though because I I knew this. And I had a, you know, a, a, a degree in this and practice experience in this, but I couldn't figure it out myself. I could not get internalized how to get sober. And this time around, which was, you know, pretty remarkable, um, I didn't go to rehab. I didn't go to a meeting. I didn't, I didn't do anything. It, it was more like the spontaneous mental shift or I just said I had enough
0: and I haven't gone back yet. So as far as, you know, walking through the world as a member of the queer community, did that have any kind of impact on your substance use?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, the, the The epidemic of methamphetamine in, in our in our community is is so destructive and devastating. And, and I've just seen it mushroom in uh, my, you know, my 25 years with that drug, using that drug in and out of recovery. I've seen that, that, that drug devastate our community. And not only just you know, with the addiction piece, but you know, the HIV part, the uh, transmission of HIV, sexual violence that's associated with it. Um, and the social media platforms that have done nothing to curb this problem. Uh, and um, I, I think need, more needs to be done with that piece. Now, in terms of queer support, uh, there's a lot of it. And there are some really good people out there that have kind of guided me, that I have close connections with. And that's an important piece too, is having that connection. Um, and it can be anything. It can be 12-step stuff. It can be, um, you know, um, advocacy around LGBTQ stuff, Whatever works in terms of connecting one to community. And that's kind of how, how I got sober with queer advocacy, but also around certain issues with housing and HIV, um, sober living stuff, that kind of thing. Will you speak a little bit about uh, I've heard your story before, so
0: I just would love to hear a little more about um... What factors that you like put in place to help you stay sober today? I know your living situation is a little uh, different than you know someone normally in recovery. Uh, Would you just talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, uh, I think it's important, firstly, to have some stable, permanent housing or semi-permanent housing. And I live in a a facility, well, a building. It's it's Housing, and they have buildings across the metro for people with HIV. Now this population is like about two-thirds, you know, that two-thirds of of the population here has has an active substance use disorder or is in recovery or a mental health disorder. And so living here in that environment is a little bit thorny um, for a lot of folks, uh, but I've kind of transferred that into like, okay, I'm responsible for my recovery, Housing is a priority for me because I was homeless, and so this is kind of my sanctuary. When I'm, my door shut, it locks, and it took me a while to untangle uh, my relationships with people in this building that I uh, drank and used with for a very long time, for a number of years, uh, so I'm at peace with that today. I've struggled in a sober living environment in the past when I, my uh, addiction was acute and I, and I, and I had um, um, no uh, kind of control over this, these relapses when I thought I was doing well and had finished treatment and I was in so, sober living for a couple of months and I would just, I would I'd be taken by the wind with methamphetamine and it would lose my housing. And so th- things are changing in sober living now, which I'm glad to see, um, because that experience of being thrown out without any kind of transitional piece, and it's not just the sober home's fault. It's also the, the beds available at detox and other support networks that, that have cracks and barriers in them. But I'm happy that I'm here in my apartment because I was able to actually live here and still use until I got sober. And that's kind of a, a back-end way of looking at things, but it worked, it worked for me and I think it could work for others. Um, as long as there's engagement and support around people that are living in these kind of places.
0: Absolutely, and and Clare Housing, I feel really lucky, and we've talked about this before in this podcast of like living in Minnesota and what Minnesota does as far as um, work for social services. Cause in other states, I'm from North Dakota, like stuff like this doesn't exist. So I love that you're able to share those resources with people because they save lives. As far as like, you know, your day to day right now, what does a day in the life look like for you to maintain your sobriety? All
1: right. Well, presently, I like I said, I try to uh, engage in advocacy stuff. I did this whole sober house um, regulation that the state is putting up. Uh, they, They were listening to consumers, stakeholders, you know, agencies, government, and nonprofit to see how sober homes could be um, more inclusive and 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 manage. You know, the um, the issues of relapse and long-term housing solutions. Um, so I was involved in that, and then I also um, was in a listening session. To um, we're going to have a substance use disorder summit coming up next year by the the state's putting it on. And it's gonna be, what does this look like for our future here in Minnesota? And I wanna be part of that. I wanna be, you know, it gets me going. The passion of it, of of my story and getting others on board with recovery is is kind of where I'm at in my recovery today. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I don't, I I do a lot of that kind of stuff. I'm I'm actively uh, uh, involved in, I mean, I'm really, I, I'm an exerciser. Uh, I, I, I find that that's rewired my brain in a way that medication doesn't. So I exercise five times at least a week. I'm in uh, therapy, individual therapy, biweekly or every other week. And I, I do some um, support group stuff, not m- much. Uh, I'm more connected to those folks uh, in social situations. Um, so I do have a group of people that are are close to me, uh, some in and out of recovery, you know? Um, so that's kind of what that looks like. I'm, I'm now um, going to be going back to social work practice. My license was suspended in 2012 due to mental health and substance use disorder. And um, I didn't think I was gonna get it back. So it took me a while in this past year to kind of really work hard, get the assessments and the letters of support um, around that. So getting that part of me back, it was part of my identity, part of my value set. Getting that part uh, has really um, helped my sobriety. And family, family, my family
0: uh, loves to see me um, back, you know, and not struggling. Yeah, that's that's really exciting. And I want to kind of, I guess, backtrack a little bit too and talk about like earlier, you had mentioned how, you know, you were very educated in this field. You were a skilled social worker and, you know, being able to diagnose problems in other people that you might not be able to in yourself, I think, is like the most human thing. Right. Um, Because at the end of the day, that's exactly what we are. We are like flawed and fabulous.
1: Right. Exactly. You know, I, I look at like at the cardiologist that has, you know, has a heart problem or the oncologist that has cancer. It's the same kind of thing in a way. Um, there's no stopping these kind of things from happening because we are human. And it, it can make things more frustrating because we know so much more about that specific health problem. Uh, but at the same time, you know, now that I'm at this end of it, I, I see it as an absolute asset, the experience of being an addict. Um, and, and, and going through trauma, uh, and having the trauma experience and learn how to heal from that trauma. Uh, that's one important thing to note here on this podcast is, is trauma cannot, addiction cannot, cannot be uh, ameliorated without trauma being healed. And, um, LGBTQ folks have a lot of trauma. I mentioned it when I was out there, you know, there's, there's the, uh, whole homophobia and transphobia, the uh, you know the dogma that we got growing up, you're going to hell if you're queer, uh, conversion therapy and then you know in my time it was that HIV epidemic that was killing everybody my age. Um, uh, and then you know the, our, our civil rights, our human rights being violated. those things are trauma, they're historical trauma. And then when you get an addiction, you add an addiction to that mix, uh, and you have, you know, um, mental health problems. You have like, you know, institutionalization and incarceration and and all these horrible things that happen to you as a result of an addiction problem, um, and that adds to the trauma. And for me, what happened for me is I was I was traumatized, but I didn't tip over into having trauma experience or trauma symptoms uh, until about a decade ago. It was, it was like, I had a level of, of so much trauma. I, I started living with this, you know, psychosis and acute anxiety and, and that didn't go away and that wouldn't have gone away as long as I continue to use. So, but it was, yeah, both the healing of the trauma and, and the addiction kind of are in tandem
0: yeah well and listening to you talk now i wonder how like obviously growing up if you're like a gay guy growing up like secrecy is a huge part of your life because you try to be as you know a fly in the wall as possible and of course the one thing that feeds addiction the most probably is that same thing secrecy and shame um were those two things a part of your journey at all I think the secrecy,
1: I, I was out when I was when I was pretty young and that part, you know, it was early on and there was the AIDS epidemic at that time. So I, I, being queer wasn't so much of an issue as being positive and carrying that stigma. on, um, sure. And that was really hard for a long time, uh, especially in the beginning when nobody wanted to touch you if you were infected. Um, and then uh, I think the worst, stigma, however, was being an IV meth addict, Um, the way people treated you, the isolation and disdain and dirty disgust kind of like um, reaction people would get from it. Um, And then the self-loathing that you experience from having that secret, like, oh, you know, I'm a a IV drug user, the worst kind, you know, it's this whole like, you know, darkness that kind of comes over oneself. And they think, well, if I could just drink and work, or if I could just, you know, do these other drugs, you know, <laughs> each drug and each circumstance has its has its pitfalls. Um, but those those things were the secrets for me. Uh, and then being a social worker, being a social worker, trying to like, you know, hold myself together with this, you know, with this reputation, like I knew something, you know it was it was difficult well terry i commend you on how
0: far you've come and i'm so excited for you to go back into the field um and hopefully we get to work with you in the future that would be fun yeah that'd be great yeah thanks terry so much thank you for joining us on this episode of proud voices you can find us where you find all your favorite podcasts don't forget to follow and subscribe we'll see you next time